Welcome to the Indian podcast. This is Alicia and today we will be talking about the Harappan civilization that once occupied a large swath of land including not just the present day states of India such as Rajasthan, Punjab, Haryana, Gujarat, Maharashtra, Western UP but also as we know Pakistan and some parts of Afghanistan. Who were the Harappans? How urbanized was the Harappan civilization? and how did it decline to answer some of these questions today i am in conversation with mr inderjeet singh marwa who's an anthropologist welcome to the show sir thank you alicia well marwa sir when we talk about the harappan civilization it is the earliest known urban culture of the indian subcontinent now for many years a lot of archaeological research has been done at various harappan sites I think to begin this podcast let's first talk about how we got to know about the civilization also why is it called an urban civilization see harappan civilization is generally known to be one of the oldest known civilization that existed around 3000 bce to about 1500 bce we came to know about harappan civilization then known as indus valley civilization way back in 1926 literally by chance now when a road was being dug up the people the laborers found very queer type of uh, bricks which were not known to the people at that time or which were not being used in the area initially the laborers used it for their own habitation and later on it was discovered that there were many more things than only the bricks there were tinkles pottery and that was just the beginning now excavations were done and harappa and mohenjodaro these two different sites came to be known later on many more sites were discovered and uh, most of these sites were discovered after partition the area of uh, harappan civilization extended from western part of north india and pakistan subcontinent to bit of east also that means right in haryana as well as uh, gujarat some of the most well known site discovered here in india were dholavira lothal rakhigari Kalibangan, and uh, that's why we've decided to have a common name for all these sites, and the common name shifted from Indus Valley Civilization to Harappan, because number one, when we use the word Indus Valley Civilization, it is more confined to the Indus Valley area, whereas now we find that it's far more extensive and widespread, and number two. by and large almost all the locations give us the similar features to harappa the area the town in pakistan now what are the basic features common features in all these areas these are urban centers residential areas have been fortified with big walls there were gates we have found water arrangements big reservoirs in some area they knew bit of metallurgy 
and they were manufacturing communities. And all around these towns, there were agricultural communities. We know very little about agricultural communities, but we know what was being produced because there are granaries found in all these communities, in all these urban centers. And uh, why we call it civilization? Because some kind of script existed amongst them, uh, which is evident on the seals found in uh, Mohanjadaro, Harappa, and later on in other areas also like Lothal and uh, Dholivira. So this is the basic idea of Harappan civilization. Well, Marvasa, as we know that town planning was the prime speciality of the Harappan culture, which shows that the Harappan people lived highly civilized and developed life. They had these baked brick houses, elaborate drainage systems, water supply systems, cluster of large non-residential buildings. Also, it seems like uh, there was a division in most of the cities with an upper Acropolis and a lower town. So, could you please tell us more about how town planning was done in the Harappan civilization? Right, Alicia. Uh, one very distinguishing feature of the Harappan culture is that they had a very elaborate town planning. This was a unique feature of Harappan culture. Most of these towns were further differentiated. Some were smaller towns, some like Mohanjadaro, Harappa, or Dholivira were very big towns. And the township which is being discovered even now in Rakhigari, Haryana, probably had extensive area and planning was based on some kind of a grid like you have parallel streets parallel areas one important feature of most of these uh, harappan urban centers was that they had acropolis or what we call citadel generally on the higher side of the settlement maybe this acropolis area was inhabited by some kind of uh, the governmental officials or some controlling power. And we find a very interesting uh, feature of planning. The roads were cutting each other at a particular angle. And uh, we found that there was a very strong drainage system. Each house had its own drainage. Soap pits were discovered near each house for the cleanliness and each street had brick laid channels for the drainage of water also uh, in dholavira they have found a very vast very big bath area we call it something like swimming pool which was for washing and bathing of the people very elaborately arranged and uh, there were stairs and uh, there were four walls around fortified and uh, there were small rooms where people could go and change stay there or have rest there were galleries also we find that the city had huge drain this drain was something like six to eight feet deep the great walls around had solid construction. We have houses 
lined up on the either side of the street. Mostly the houses were single story and with a flat roof. Incidentally, we still find flat roof houses in Haryana, in Rajasthan, in Punjab. As against when we go to the eastern part of India, the roof are gable type in the sense because they have more rain in that area. So it seems some kind of continuity is still there. And mostly each residential building had about two to three rooms, generally two rooms, but some had three rooms. And one interesting feature was an inner courtyard. And we still find the courtyard as a very essential part of building, even in Haryana and Rajasthan and Punjab. In one place, they have found big hall, almost 80 feet long and 80 feet wide. Also, all these uh, residential areas had water supply system. There were public uh, wells, which were uh, dug up by the side of streets. And uh, one interesting feature we find in Lothal in Gujarat is that uh, there were some kind of dock area where ships or small ships could be docked. So around 2300 BCE, that was the Acme. Acme means the highest point of civilization. This uh, period where town planning was the best in these areas. And around 1900 BCE to 1800 BCE. After that, we find that uh, most of these uh, cities, urban areas were not developing. Our people had started migrating. It's not very clear why these people started migrating. But uh, after, say, about 1500 BCE, we don't find very flourishing towns and cities. All right. Now, Marvasa, we know the Harappan civilization is a culture wrapped in a shroud of mystery. But one aspect of the Harappan people that has been studied somewhat extensively is their trade relations. Trade was carried out both inside and with outside civilizations like Mesopotamia. Trade was carried out through land and sea. Uh, the use of seals and ceilings appears to have been integral to the development of trade networks. I was reading uh, at Kanmer, a small site that locals call Babarkot uh, in the little run of Gujarat's Kutch district. Archaeologists have found three round seals which feature different signatures on the reverse. And it is suggested that the Harappans of Kanmer might have hung these like pendants while travelling to different places for trade, almost like passports. So I think it's best that you tell us more about the trade of the Harappan civilization. Who were they trading with? What were they trading? How was trade and commerce carried out? All of it. Yeah, when we come to talk of trade and commerce, we see that there are two levels at which trading must have been taking place. Number one, trading within these communities in Harappan culture and the trading with outside communities like Mesopotamia. So first take up the local trading. We find that uh, they have agricultural big bins made of mud where agricultural produce is stocked and those bins are incidentally still being used in many parts of our country. This shows 
that they were accumulating agricultural produce. Whenever agricultural produce is accumulated, that is the production level of the agriculture communities was pretty high. So there has to be some kind of a exchange between what the agricultures produce and what the urban centers produce. So this is one level of trade. Second level of trade is with outside communities like Mesopotamia and southern part of Iran. So what are the evidence for trade? Number one, instruments for weighing, instruments for measuring agricultural produce were present. They are shown on the seals also. So this was one evidence. Second, there is a seaport evidence also, especially in Lothal area and in Dholavira. Sea ships or uh, boats could be berthed near the urban areas. Unlike uh, the pharaohs who showed uh, on their inscription, ships made of piperous reed. We don't have any such evidence of the ships. But still, we have evidence that some kind of docking arrangement was made. What were the goods which were traded? Pots and pans, both with the agricultural people as well as going abroad. Uh, there were gold or silver and uh, bronze ornaments. You should not forget this was a bronze age. There was no iron at that time because iron has to be taken out from the ores and converting ore into iron is a very difficult process and very elaborate process. So those people were using metal like copper and zinc and making it an alloy. Although both were excavated, but we have also signs of ancient mines for copper found in Udaipur area, which were as ancient as almost uh, the Harappan culture. So this was being done and a lot of uh, ornaments were being manufactured and also there was stone industry and terracotta. Terracotta made human figure or deities. We have masks made out of terracotta. We found similar kind of masks and similar kind of ornaments in Mesopotamia. So it's clear that they had some kind of trade with outside people. Actually, somebody has remarked that the main gate of Mesopotamian urban center had a certain ornamental significance because those adornment was similar to the one they found in uh, Harappan culture. Then craft of beads was very important. Red colored stone-like beads were made and there's a separate uh, elaborate process of making these beads, burnt clay, copper, bronze, all this was found. Stone beads were flaked and firing of the yellowish raw material to get a red color, grinding and polishing, uh, drilling. These signs are found in the Lothal and Dolavira culture. So that means all these were made for some kind of exchange. Seals were used, as you have already mentioned, the seals were used for identification, seals were used as stamp, seals were used for various purposes. But uh, beyond that, we 
have not been able to make anything out of the seals. So we do see that there was a great deal of uh, exchange uh, commerce between local communities and between far off areas, but uh, mostly towards the west of northwest of India. Okay. Well, Marvasa, you had mentioned earlier how there were huge granaries to store agricultural produce. So could you tell us more about what the Harappans were growing? Interestingly, I was reading that at least seven high-protein multigrain laddus were discovered in 2017 during the excavation of Harappan archaeological site in western part of Rajasthan. So yeah, it'll be quite interesting to know what they were growing, what they were eating, were they more into meat eating or, you know, into vegetarian food. Uh, Alicia, to know about uh, the food habits of ancient people, we generally depend on three or four things. Number one is the kitchen midden. And kitchen midden is the ancient leftovers of the kitchen, leftovers of the food. A lot of uh, studies have been done on kitchen midden. I'm not very sure about the kitchen midden studies made on the ancient Harappans. However, Predominantly, those people were meat-eating people because uh, basic diet consisted, it seems, of different animals such as pigs, cattle. Cattle means goats, sheep, buffaloes, cows also. Bones of these animals have been found extensively. Even birds, fish, turtles, hares, antelope, all such bones have been found. So we find maybe the non-vegetarian food was preferred. Secondly, what were they growing? We find barley, wheat, chickpeas, and variety of pulses. You refer to the laddus. Yes, they have been found in very good condition, uh, made of high-protein multigrain. But were the laddus for eating? Because they have been found on the riverside and Gagar area. And one of the directors of the National Institute of Archaeology has explained that probably these were the ritual item for the departed souls because it was found on the side of the riverbed along with an axe and seal also. So this is one thing we know. And we also find that Tandoor was in use, that means there must have been cooking based on tandoor. We are not very clear how they were using. Then apart from tandoor, they were also using milk and milk products. The milk was boiled in earthen pots. Now, how do we know? How are we sure about it? Actually, and there is a lipid residue test, which can tell us about what kind of products were being cooked based on the residue of different type of ceramic, potteries, and vessels. This is the latest uh, form of analysis. And the, on that basis, they found great deal about uh, the kind of food these people were eating. Okay. Marvasa, till now we have spoken about town planning, trading, and food of the Harappans. Uh, there are a few more things I want to discuss in this podcast, like language and ancestry of the Harappans. Also, what were the factors that led to the decline of the civilization? But before that, I have a quick question. 
what do we understand about the religion of the harappans from the seals and the terracotta figurines that have been discovered to define religion is not very easy because religion consists in terms of the beliefs the belief pattern cannot be easily understood except on the basis of the material we find so we find that according to dr basham there was no temple in none of the sites a big temple building was found but there can be religion without temple we can say very briefly that they were some kind of belief in animism animism is form of religion where you believe in spirits worship of animal and plants because you believe in nature in different manifestations we find that serpent has been shown in one of the seals and uh, bulls have been shown in the seals and we find many of these naga deity female deities probably what now we call mother goddess evidence of people tree shown on the seals and we find a certain prototype of shiva man sitting in a posture almost like a yoga posture and surprisingly though it's not very clear but we still find that they were some sign of phallic worship and four big pillars partly destroyed they were discovered which many people think are like a phallic they were discovered and interesting thing is that many of these practices are still followed that means they did not disappear these practices did not disappear but continued in some form or the other in india that is the big lesson we draw out of the study on harappan culture so we have different racial elements combining together and different cultural elements combining together giving us a beautiful amalgamation of different culture different elements of culture into a common culture now marwasa talking about the language maybe the harappans spoke we know the harappan script has not been deciphered despite innumerable attempts to read it it still remains like an unknown writing system where the inscriptions are short with not more than five signs on an average that's how it appears and for many years researchers on the harappan scripts have been applying statistical data to show the frequent clustering of certain symbols that tend to imply words and many hypotheses have been made also i was reading a new study which suggests that ancestral dravidian languages were possibly spoken by many in indus valley civilization so could you tell us more about this there are two bases on which we can uh, have an idea of what language people were speaking at that time because uh, what is left over are the seals now the seals don't speak themselves but uh, seals had certain symbols and signs and similar seals were also found in mesopotamian civilization and other gulf area of the western part of asia the script on these seals has not been understood has not been deciphered persons like uh, parabola uh, from finland he was working on it and finally he came to the conclusion that he is not very definite about the signs and symbols which were used as a part of the script 
However, their pattern and order of signs are deciphered, and we find that there was some difference in the seals used among the Harappans in India and the seals used in Mesopotamia. That means there's a slight variation in the language. In uh, Egypt, towards the end of Egyptian culture, we found that there were three scripts being used, which was found on a stone long back, and they were using hieroglyphics. And we found that hieroglyphic script was used only for the ritual purposes, right? Wherever anything about religion and ritual was to be noted or has to be notified, they use the hieroglyphics. They also used the ancient script called Demotic, which was used in Egypt towards the end of Pharaoh's rule, which was something similar to the Coptic people who are now found in Ethiopia, right? And the third language towards the end of the Pharaoh's rule was Greek which was being used by the Egyptian ruler. Unfortunately, we haven't found any such stone as yet on the basis of which can be very sure about the language people use. But linguists have told us a great deal. The linguists have analyzed uh, or found some similarity between the people of southwestern Iran which is called Elamite language, and the people in Balochistan, very ancient communities in Balochistan called Brahui, and came to the conclusion that there is some closeness between these uh, uh, languages. And that means Proto-Elamite and Proto-Davidian language was some kind of commonness. So from that point of view, we find that there is a linguistic uh, continuity from southwestern part of Iran uh, up to northwestern part of India. We have a well-known uh, writer, Alpine. In 1981, he wrote a paper on Alamo-Dravidian words where he analyzed 250 words and he found 40% similarity ancient Dravidian language with the Southwest Iranian language, Alamite, as it is called. So there are many words, root bases were the same, like pot. Pot is young animal. Putu, young lamb. And putto, sampling, young sampling. And in uh, now, even in the South Indian Dravidian language, especially in some part, they use, they use the word putta for a very young child. Uh, that means when I ask somebody, what does putta mean? He said, you know, one who doesn't know anything is very young. So he thinks that there is some kind of a relationship. Similarly, found some other words like, word like kat, which in uh, uh, South Iranian Elamite culture, it was a bed. And in Tamil, they have a word katil, which means cot or bedstead. So these are two or three words we have taken up as an illustration, but he made an analysis of about 250 words and he found about 40% similarity. So that could be one, but again, it is a guesswork. Uh, we have to depend on uh, linguists. So we have Professor Mahadevan, uh, a well-known uh, 
linguist from uh, southern part of Tamil Nadu. In 1915, he gave a lecture where he talked of the uh, Indus script as the earlier form of Dravidian language or Dravidian script. That means he finds a similarity between the Indus script and the Dravidian script. The Harappan people, for him, has more closeness culturally and linguistically with people of Western Asia. So that is something very interesting we find. Well, Marwa sir, my next question is quite an important one and I know there's no direct answer maybe to it. But yes, we know that Everyone has been trying to figure out where did Indus Valley or Harappan people come from. Uh, the latest uh, study of DNA from skeletal remains excavated from the Harappan Cemetery at Rakigari, the largest town in Harappan civilization, has shed some light on the origins of people who built this ancient civilization around five millennia, millennia ago. Could you tell us more about what we have learned over the years about the Harappan ancestry? Actually, when we're talking of the affinity and the originality of the people, and we do go into the genome. These are the new kind of studies which are coming up over the last uh, 50 or 40 years. And we do find some evidence based on genome studies. The earliest form of genome studies made on the earliest groups was uh, in on the Elamite people. And uh, they were goat-rearing people skeleton of women had been found there in the southwestern part of uh, Iran. And those genome structure was very similar to the genome studies made on Brahi people, who were also goat raising people, and continued in this area since 7000 BCE. That means towards the end of uh, stone culture and the beginning of the food gatherers and herders. Then we do find the latest study made is very interesting study. Uh, although before that study, some studies have been made on skeletal material found in Lothal in Gujarat. And Lothal uh, studies also found are confirmed a relationship between people of Western area, uh, Middle East towards the West of India, and the people living in uh, Makarana and uh, Balochistan and people living in Lothal. So that gives you some idea of a kind of a continuity of genetic. This is not very sure. These are just preliminary type of studies. And uh, some people have written that right from west part of southwest part of Iran via Turkestan down to Indus Valley. There is some kind of genetic relationship, but one cannot conclude by saying that there was a relationship. But we find a very interesting study from Rakhigari made by well-known uh, archaeologist Shinde from uh, Dakan Institute and uh, Pune. And he found that there was a cemetery and the body of a woman, very well-preserved body of a woman was found. And uh, he made a study on that. And he came to a very different kind of conclusion. 
that that has no relationship with people in Iran, with people in Lothal, on the basis of genetic material, and they have a relationship with the Irula in South India, right? A tribal group, very primitive tribal group. So that he has raised some basic questions that were Harappans same or similar uh, in terms of genetic material. So he thinks that there was some kind of a mixed groups about which we need to study more. And uh, if we li uh, link it up with the studies made by the linguists like Mahadevan in South India, who thinks that uh, Harappan civilization before the end are towards the, you know, when the, they were in acme of their culture, they had started migrating towards the south. It's not at the at the demise of the Harappan civilization that they migrated, but the migration had started taking place earlier. So he also found some linguistic similarity on the basis of which the Harappan people moved from west coast in India to down south. This is again uh, very conjectural and not very clear. Uh, Mahadevan uh, is very emphatic in pointing out that the Harappan culture and Harappan people were pre-Aryans. And uh, he, uh, you know, faces this question of Aryan uh, versus Dravidian in a very clear-cut manner. And uh, uh, he thinks that Aryan culture was more based on uh, horse. And the horse or any remnant of horse is missing from the Dravidian culture. But we, we do find that uh, uh, Sate has raised certain basic questions that there had been already mixture of people from South, Indo-Austric people, whole language speakers, and some kind of a racial mixture was there until more uh, studies are made, we are not very clear. But one thing is clear, that all the skeletal studies so far made for genetic material point out that they had not much relationship with people in Central Europe or East Central Europe from where the Aryan is supposed to have come. So it's not a definitive proof, but it only shows that probably Dravidian were more pre-Avian. They were not a pure race, but racially as a people, they had over seven to eight centuries got a mixed kind of thing. So we find that some sort of an Indianness had already appeared, which is available in India. Well, Marva sir, we're almost at the end of the podcast. And my last question definitely has to be, what led to the decline of the Harappan civilization? Now, there are several theories about the decline, like some scholars suggest that the nomadic Indo-European tribe called the Aryans invaded and conquered the Indus Valley civilization. Many believe it was due to climatic change and drying of the Saraswati River, which began around 1900 BCE. And that was the main cause for climatic change. While others also conclude that there was a great flood that struck the area. So could you tell us more about uh, the decline? Uh, I mean, according to you, what seems to be more plausible? And also what happened to the people? Some say they migrated towards the southern and eastern regions of India. One thing is very clear. The linguistic uh, studies show that uh, the Dravidian speakers 
uh, appeared in South India around 1800 BCE. And that is around the same time Harappan culture was towards the decline. The linguists have told us that uh, some of the remnants of the Dravidian language are found all along the western coast of India, uh, like in Maharashtra. There are certain areas, Konkan area, which has a smattering of uh, Dravidian words in their language. So they trace the migration of the people starting from uh, western part of India or northwestern part of India towards down south. So why did they start migrating towards the southern part of uh, Indian subcontinent? One reason could be that uh, there were climatic changes taking place. For instance, the river Gagar, right from northern part of Haryana, goes up to Gujarat, you see. That river, which some people call Saraswati River, has disappeared. Now, when you come from Chandigarh, you find a bridge over Gagar River, right on the Karnal GT road between Ambala and Chandigarh. So that shows that it is only a seasonal river. So one reason could be climatic change. The area had started becoming dry. Our uh, rainfall pattern changes could be one reason. Basham, in his book, uh, Art and Culture of Ancient India, he talks of horse riding pastoral people who came as invaders. General theory about the destruction of any culture is that there are people who are not urbanites. They invade the urban areas for uh, various reasons. And this has been shown in case of Greece, that uh, Greek people were literally overrun gradually by northern tall people. Roman civilization again were crowded out by people from uh, northern area. And uh, those were generally pastoral type of people not urban based. So according to Basham, it could be the horse riding people who came to India later on from Central Asia. They were new to urban centers. So they thought urban centers were centers with a lot of wealth. So they really looted or destroyed urban centers. But we are not very sure. But Basham is a big name. So we, we cannot easily suspend his analysis and uh, not take it seriously. But I think climatic reason is the more plausible and very important reason. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marwa, sir. It was great talking to you and definitely we got to learn a lot more about the Harappan civilization from you. I mean, I had read a lot about uh, things in the past, but definitely got a lot more clarity today. So thank you. Right, Alicia. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Do like and share it and also subscribe to our channel, The Indian Podcast. This is Alicia saying bye-bye.